Hey, this is Travis T-Bone Turner. We're here at the Tour 12 Podcast. Don't give your guide a knife for a tip. He probably has a knife because he's a guide. <laughs> kind of here he comes. I mean, that's the kind of stuff. Here he comes. He's coming in hot. Hey, I'm Nick Mont from Bone Collector. You're listening to the Tour 12 Podcast. If you're one of these guys who carried horns around ATA, just leave them at home. Quit being an idiot. <laughs> so B does all of our modeling. He's the look good guy. I'm the Definitely, uh, I don't have a voice for radio. I'm the face for radio. I'm the ugly <laughs> wild here, dude. You guys out there listening, you know, put your kids in front of this podcast. I mean, we're not going to get too crazy. You might want to put them to bed maybe a little bit later on, but <laughs> that's just that's just me talking. But we'll get to arguing over schedules or, or man, you know, something that we where disagree we're gonna on. Eat. Where are we going to eat? Where are we going to eat? A little things, yeah. But at the end of it, we hunt together because and hang together just because we truly, truly enjoy each other's company. Well, it is, it is our job, and we have a platform, and by all means, we're flying the flag as much as we can. We, we need, we want to preach it to the everybody. It's not for the elite. It's not for the rich. It's, it's enjoyment Making for everybody. Making a living doing something you absolutely love, what we call living your passion, you might actually be closer than you realize. It's actually what this whole podcast is built around, living your passion in three areas, business, leadership, and life. I'm Michael Waddell, and you're listening to the Tour 12 Podcast. What is up, guys? Welcome to the show. What's up, Heath? What's up, Cody? Dude, I'm so glad to be sitting in a recliner. (laughs) And not driving? Holy smokes, dude. (laughs) So we just returned from West Texas, South Texas. Did we we get to North Texas? Um, It was a lot of driving. If we had been probably 50 miles east, we would have hit North Texas, too. (laughs) (laughs) So we just got back from West Texas with our good friends, Hunter and Rodney Barrett. And... uh, we were out that way kind of learning and you know digesting as much information as we could about fortified cottonseed yeah and we get out there and we were supposed to fly from, yeah from hunter, herford. hunter was taking good care of us man we were going to get on a plane <laughs> and go from herford down to where were uvalda you yeah uvalde, uvalde. texas yeah hunter, it's like 30 can, minutes from mexico something like that if we said it wrong you can correct us later hunter but anyway, we were supposed to fly. Well, we get there, and it's pouring rain, and needless to say, we couldn't get the plane out in the weather, so we drove another nine hours south. So I think we have to qualify this. We got up at 2.30 in the morning. I was at your house at 3. We pulled out by 10 after 3 on the road, get down there. We get to their offices in Hereford. We learn a little bit. I don't know, we were there for about two or three hours, and then... Hunter said, hey, man, we can't get the plane out, so we got to drive. <laughs> so it was nearly 18 hours in a day. I don't think they allow truckers to even do that. Don't you have to sleep for so after so many hours of I driving? think so, but, you know, we switched off, so it was good. Hey, I had a good time. We I learned a lot. We got to meet some great people. Yeah. And Dude, I loved their veterinarian and their nutritionist, man. They had some great information. I can tell you, I've been in a lot of rooms with a lot of people, and I definitely wasn't the <laughs> smartest guy in the room. Yeah. Yeah, you asked me one time, you getting that? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> but it was so, I mean, so much knowledge that, and these guys were probably in their 50s or those two particular guys I just yeah. mentioned, they were in their 50s or 60s. And so they had been, you know, doing what they do for so long and they were men on point as far as helping somebody understand what they were talking about well yeah breaking down so their background is is obviously in the cattle industry where we're in Hereford we're at a feedlot where Rodney has ran this business for a long time and and what I think is so neat about what we were down there learning about with Hunter Barrett is he's taken basically everything he's learned from I mean generations really from his granddad being in the cotton gin business I Mm -hmm. think I think he said they've, they've owned like six different cotton gins and and then his dad on the feedlot side with cattle, he's combining both of those, the knowledge from both of those kind of entities mm-hmm. into a product that is geared more towards his passion of deer hunting. Yeah. And so it's pretty neat to see it all come together. I like that. It's pretty cool. Yeah. And so they, they the, the nutritionists, the veterinarians were breaking down the similarities of cattle and deer and why. I mean, that's their job is to... is. In, in a short amount of time as possible to put as much weight on cattle as they can mm-hmm. at the at the most efficient you know process and cost effective way of doing it that's yeah. what they do and so hearing what they're trying to do or what they are doing not trying they're doing it what yeah. they're doing on the on the deer side of things it's pretty interesting and then to get to go down south and hear john yeah so john is a guy that they hooked up with who owns a, a lot of land yeah and he's using their combination product yeah he's played a huge role in in helping i mean even 
to some extent develop you know i think part of the the process of yeah what makes this so good for deer and hearing him break it down so just to put it in perspective this guy's in south texas in a basically a free range environment and he's growing 200 inch deer <laughs> that's unheard of dude I, every time i look at pictures that i that they that hunter sent us from this um from that yeah uh, john's ranch or whatever yeah dude i'm like golly i gotta kill one <laughs> i wonder if he'll let me come down there someday. well you see a lot of you see a lot of big deer in texas but a lot of the time not always but a lot of the time it's in a high fence environment when yeah. it's in texas and that's what's so intriguing to me about this is it's not and i mean he's doing it the right way and he's so what's so inspiring is he's so passionate about his land and land management and then also managing his deer herd mm-hmm. and so it's pretty inspiring stuff and and that is actually the conversation that, that we're about to hear and so i'm excited this is a very i think deer hunters in general that, that like the idea of learning how to grow grow big deer are really going to enjoy this conversation yeah it's really good from the stuff we talked to hunter and rodney about to the nutritionist to john to um some hunters friends the oh, yeah, klein and justin yeah. they all had this like kind of what we talk about all the time living your passion and business yeah. leadership they had this passion for um, what they do it's yeah. it pretty cool to see that yeah it was and so spirit the spear ag brothers were down there and Klein's actually on this this conversation that we're about to jump into it's truly awesome to see guys that are so passionate about what they do um you know we talk about it all the time we don't feel like we'd work a day in our life because we love what we do so much and yeah I, I felt that same vibe with these guys. i agree they, yeah they love what they do yep and so you ready for this conversation let's get to it Heath. all right i think this is going to be good this is the conversation with Klein spear and john sewell what is up guys welcome to the tour 12 podcast we are in south south texas way south texas we're nearly in mexico Keith, we've been in the car for like what 27 hours (laughs) (laughs) we should have just slept in the car last night i told you a long time we need a jet or a helicopter or something i'm going after watching yellowstone i'm going with a black chopper that's what we need black chopper yeah I think when I'm hanging out with Hunter from now on, we're going to plan a little better. (laughs) (laughs) We're down here hanging out with my friends from Cotton, Fortified Cotton Seed, and doing a little work. And we have arrived at the ranch of Mr. John Sewell, Harris Ranch. And I'm here also joined with Klein Spear from Spear and Ag. Is that right? Is that how you say it? Spear and Ag? Spear Ag. Spear Ag. I got them. You just correct me. Hey, we're (laughs) laid back here. Correct me if it's this wrong. But... We've been down here doing a little work, doing some interviews, and I've been highly intrigued by what we've come to, to learn about your ranch down here, John. And uh, a lot of our listening audience is obviously from the hunting world nationwide, and most of us love hearing about big deer, growing big deer, and how people do it. And, and I've been around Texas a lot, and being from Arkansas, a lot of people frown on high fence stuff, and then when you come to Texas, it's pretty common, obviously, down here. And so having a lot of big deer in high fences is, is very common, but you're on a low fence ranch here growing incredible white-tailed deer on, what'd you say, 25 miles? About 25 square miles, a little over 17,000 acres. 17,000. I'm yeah. just, we got a little 43 acres back home. <laughs> We're glad to have it too, and, uh, <laughs> to use I'm it. I'm trying to manage it best I can. <laughs> it's all you, you can do. You do a good job. Yeah, I mean, and, uh, it's all you can do. And so it's, it's been interesting though, listening today, just some of your story. And that's why we wanted to jump on this podcast. You've, you've received a pretty prestigious award, the, the Lone Star Land Steward Award. Tell right. us a little bit about that award. Well, it's a very humbling award. You know, you got a guy that basically, when it comes to wildlife management and biology and stewardship, I don't have any formal schooling, you know. Graduated from high school and went to work. So, you know, being able to come from where I was born and raised in Florida, which gets about 70 inches of annual rainfall to a place that gets 20 inches of annual rainfall, and and try to learn what it takes to make an operation run um you know without any outside money basically trying to take this from ground zero um mismanaged for 70 years and and so on and so forth and then turning it into a dream and turning it turning a vision and a set of goals into something that you that is achievable yeah um you know i never thought that i would be looking at 200 inch deer on this place you know when i started 170 was a giant and that's that's what we i mean that was just a dream i mean it was a vision but it was a dream and you know trying to understand and learn it from 
nothing. I mean, I had no knowledge of South Texas other than than what I could pick up here. You know, um, taking these animals and learning about the genetics and learning about feed and understanding gut health and all of these things that people throw at you every day. You're you know, you're kind of overwhelmed when it really comes to understanding what it takes to get there. Um, so, you know, it's been a it's been a long haul. It's been 22 years, just about from start to finish. And you know, I've I've approached everything as maybe this is a silver bullet. You know, maybe this is going to get us to the next level. And you know, having Klein and Justin and Hunter. Um, you know, making those connections throughout the years of, of working of where we're going and all of us kind of have the same visions and goals. We all love big deer. Right. I mean, you know, I've always said there's something about whitetail deer that is intriguing to all. You can take a big, little, whatever, shed antler, and you can take it into a meeting of non-like-minded people and you can set it on the table and I can almost assure you that by the time the meeting's over, every person in there will have touched it, looked at it, or said something about it, yeah. you know? So, there, I mean, it has, it's it's just a unique thing and, and people, it's cool, yeah. you know, they yeah. drop their antlers every year, all that grows back, all that stuff. But, you know, that brings us to another, to another level of understanding about whitetails. So, Coming here and, and, you know, I was in the tree relocation business. I was, I did lots of work at Disney and SeaWorld and all that stuff. And, you know, I had hunted here when I was 12 years old. So, and I had a connection to the family and got an opportunity and so on and so forth. So coming out here was a huge move for me. You know, I basically brought a young family here in a small town and, and of course, you know, I, I wasn't in the click, you right. know, so it was, it was starting out from, from ground zero. So it was, it was very humbling to win this award. Um, you know, not, I think, maybe 230 people in the state of Texas in the history of this award, which has been from the early 90s, I think, or maybe have won this award. So, you know, for me to validate everything that I've been doing over the last 20 years and really specifically lived here full time for almost 17 now, it really is humbling. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's just to think, and, and and it was just by chance, you know, somebody came out and looked at what I was doing and said, you know, I mean, you should be, you should be, you know, put up for this award. And I'm like, what award? I didn't even know what it was, you know? <laughs> so, you know, I take it as, as very, very humbling and very, very encouraging moving forward to think that I'm managing for tomorrow. Yeah. You know, I took something that was not managed for tomorrow. I took something that was managed for the day. Yeah. And then moving to the next level uh, has just been a great ride, you know, and, and the passion for what I do, I love it. I mean, I, I couldn't imagine going back to the corporate world. I couldn't imagine living in a city, all of that stuff. So, you know, when you get to see the fruits, you know, come to bear of what you've done and it's taken this long. And I, and I tell everybody that, you know, don't get frustrated in a couple of years, yeah. but you have to make a decision on your management plan that you can stick to and move forward. And two or three years is not enough. You know, I, I thought after two or three years, boy, I'd start seeing some change, you know, but that's not the case. It's, you know, it's a generation when it comes to white-tailed deer, six to 10 years old. Yeah. And um, so that has been, you know, so beneficial for us being able to work on our genetics, culling uh, all the things that go along with it, being able to remain fair chase. You know, I, I battled that. Yeah. I battled that. You know, everybody was like, oh, just close it off. You know, you can grow giants. This is how you do it, so on and so forth. And I just felt like, Fair Chase was going to be the, in the long run, going to be the answer. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's the way we stayed. And, and then starting all these new feed trends and all these things that we've all watched grow. I mean, we're, I'm 54, um, Justin and Klein are younger than me, and they've been in this business and they've watched it come to fruition from, you know, pellets to, uh, you know, pellets that had just a 20% protein or 16% protein. What do they really need? Where do they need to go? Um, you know, and now we've moved into cotton seed and, you know, 
wow, what a feed that is. You know, it's just brought, if I had to pick a silver bullet, it would be that. Yeah. And, and now for us, um, this fortified seed, you know, has just taken us to the next level. And unfortunately on a podcast, you can't see pictures, but I mean, the proof's in the pudding, you yeah. know, you really don't have to say a whole lot when you can <laughs> see what you got. Um, and, and, you know, it takes a lot to, to go out on a limb in an industry that is, uh, you know, I don't know. It's, it's a pretty tough industry. Yeah. You know, you're getting shot out from every direction. I mean, you know, in the literal terms, not really, but right. people are saying, you know, oh, that's not going to work or this isn't going to work or this is going to be a problem or your deer are going to get sterile and all that. All, all that is non, it's not proved, yeah. you know, but, but what is proved is when you can put your hands on a 200 plus inch whitetail that you killed in fair chase and you've been using these products and moving forward and testing with Justin Klein and Hunter on how this stuff's going to work in the market. And, you know, when it comes down to the, to the, you know, brass tacks, it's, uh, it's pretty simple to see your, your, your product has come to fruition. Your, your deer is what you want. You know, you're putting your hands on a 200. I mean, it's, I've seen your pics and they don't take a rocket scientist to figure out something. They're doing something different down there. (laughs) And so, I mean, you got, you got to give these guys credit. I mean, they're stepping out on a limb. I mean, they're battling against, you know, some big players. I mean, some people that got a lot deeper pockets than we'll ever have. Yeah. And, um, you know, and they're going to shoot at you. I mean, that's just the way it is. Yeah. Um, haters are going to be haters, brother. Yeah. That's just the way it is. I mean, I hate to say that. No, but, you're so true, and it's yeah. so right. Did you ever, looking back prior to you moving here from Florida, did you ever picture yourself that this is where you'd be someday, living kind of living this passion out? Well, my family owns some ground in Alpine, and uh, you know, which is, is far west Texas in the mule deer country, and, and I was, you know, my mom would say I was a heathen. You know, I was just... All always, moms say that yeah. about their boys, right? <laughs> I was always in trouble, you know, but but I wasn't really in trouble. I was either going somewhere with a gun or, or you know, a BB gun or a fishing rod and my dog and my bike, and right. they couldn't find me, you know. Well, now it's a big deal. Yeah. Back then, you were fishing or you were hunting. Yeah. You know, now a kid's missing. It's, you know, call everybody. Yeah. So, um, my how times have changed. So, you know, being able to to come here when I was younger and hunt out West Texas. And then, uh, you know, it, it's a long story of how I got here, but I worked for, you know, one of the guys who was a family uh, of the Harris family. And, and then I was 12 or 13 years old and came out here hunting. And, and, you know, I've always, after I left here, I always kept in touch and I worked with, with Mike and, um, you know, always had the opportunity to come back but i was just so busy doing other things and then you know a, a turn of events happened and i said you know i'll come back and run it i loved it and so here i am you know 22 years later yeah. um here every day and and i think that makes a lot of difference you know not only do i do i love it i live it yeah. and you know with that being said uh you know people say oh it's got to you know, it's just a dream job and boy, I wish I could do that. Well, you know, I mean, the time spent, if, if you see the hours we oh, put yeah. in, you know, cause I don't have any help. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, my stepdad puts out deer feed and I do everything else. Well work, mechanic work, all that stuff. So we don't hire outside labor and, you know, being able to get these guys and get them to get you feed and get the stuff that needs to be for us to operate and, and help you in a position, you know, Hey, I need this, or this is the way I think it's going to be, or, or we've got to, we've got to make some changes because it's not working for me. You know, these are the avenues we needed to go and having people with open minds. I mean, that's what makes it happen for us. Um, and, and, you know, they, they have a product that's hard to beat. Yeah. And uh, I don't, I don't know where we're going from here, but I think it could only be up. Yeah. Well, I've had, I mean, honestly, the whole cotton seed deal, and I've been in the industry a long time, is is fairly new, I think, to to whitetail hunters as far as being used as a a, a year round a, a feed or attracting or a nutritional supplement, or whatever, however you want to title that. But I think it's fairly new, and that's part of why I'm even having fun working with you guys is learning about this process. And I know a lot of guys that love hunting big deer and most of them are in the midwest or in iowa 
Um, and so to see what you have down here in South Texas is, is pretty phenomenal what's going on. I mean, it's, it's impressive. And, and um, so to walk us through a little bit, your, your process of, you, do you feed, actually, let's backtrack. What is your actual business? Do you run a, is it an outfitting business here or is it a? Yeah, I have a, I have a kind of a unique situation. I have a few lease members and, and those guys are basically uh, shoot a deer at the top um they're they can come year round and they can do whatever they want and they can shoot you know actually as many as they want uh that sounds crazy but we have an mldp down here which is a managed land deer permit which gives us an extended hunting season five full months um with a rifle and you know it's a habitat based permit that's what people kind of lose you know the sense of what this permit is it's to increase quality of your habitat get your numbers down um, try to decrease human input. You know, right. as much as much as we're feeding, we'd rather them be able to live on their own and do better on their own without all this supplemental feed. But with that comes obviously gut issues and understanding mineral and and all of those things that go along with it. Um, and that's where these feeds come into place. But like I've said before, and I mean I'm sure everybody's heard it. You know, we 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 want to save the best and and harvest the rest because yeah. we don't want to carry a bunch of deer that we don't really need. Yeah. So if I have seven guys trying to kill seven deer that are, you know, a minimum of 180 and above, um, and they need to be eight years old or older, um, that leaves me still, you know, 490 plus that I need I to harvest. I was say, put in perspective for our listeners, you got 17,000 acres. Yeah. How many deer need to be harvested here a year? In order to in order to truly stay at a deer to twenty acres, uh, minimum is five hundred. Wow! Um, and and you could you can go up from there. It would it would even be better if you could maintain a one to twenty five. So that'd be four deer per hundred acres, uh, and you would only have the best. I mean, they would be in the best physical condition. They would be in the they would only be the best. You know, breeders moving forward, so on and so forth. But that's very difficult to get to. Yeah. I mean, there's some places that can get to one to 25 that just have a lot of predator issues or maybe, um, you know, maybe lots of pressure around the outside. But, um, you know, if I could, if I could consistently stay one to 20, I'd be real happy. So, you know, this year, just for instance, in our survey last year, 1160 head, um, an incredible year moving forward, had a great fawn recruitment, uh, looking at 1600 head. So, 1,100 was a pretty decent number. 1,600 is really heavy. So, that just, you know, that's just recruitment. That's how many fawns we had. Um, You know, over 500 fawns on the ground. So, that just right there. You know, if you just cut it down the middle, 50-50, you got 250 bucks and 250 more does that hit the ground this year. Hmm. So, uh, you know, you got to keep up. And that's what people don't realize. They don't realize how fast these numbers change and and how fast, you know, uh, we'll add a few exotics or we'll add some grazing pressure with livestock and so on and so forth. And before you know it, you wake up and you look at your land and you're like, man, we got problems. And it's too late. Yeah. You know, then you really got to make some drastic decisions of what you're going to do to get it straight. Yeah. And that's kind of what it was when I started, you know, heavy, heavy, high density, lots of deer, lots of cattle very little forage very little ground cover um you know everybody was suffering yeah so you know seeing that that turnaround is is obvious so you came in and pulled the cattle is that what you did i reduced the stocking rate from probably one animal to 20 or one animal to 15 acres to i ended up at one eight one animal to 100 and felt like you know an animal unit was a cow and a calf weaning a calf that we were weaning at 450 and um i felt like golly there ought to be plenty of places on this 17 plus thousand acres that the cattle aren't going not until i pulled them did i realize they touched every corner Hmm. you know and we're talking less than 300 head so um you know this country is just not not it, it it's very strong and it bounces back very fast but when it comes to long periods of dry you know we might get 18 inch annual rainfall might get in two two rains in the whole year you know that that may be it we may get a six and a eight inch rain and the rest of the year 
you know, we get a barely a trace. Right. So, you know, you see lots of that, and, and it, it's just being able to make a ranch pay for itself budget-wise with your deer moving forward. You're going to take some beating for a while. Yeah. But it, I've always said, if, if you take, your mother, take care of Mother Nature, she'll take care of you. Yeah. Oh, that's so true. Yeah. Yeah. So walk us through, walk us through your, just when I, when I say the word management program, what does that mean to John Sewell? Well, management program boils down to a, a bunch of things, but first and foremost, quality of your land. Um, if, if you're not a land steward, you're going to struggle with quality wildlife and quality wildlife habitat because it all goes hand in hand. Um, you know, it takes a lot of things, especially in our country, it's hot. You know, we get hot, we get dry. We don't have any cover on the ground because we overgrazed or, or whatever our reasoning is. Um, we don't have fawn recruitment. So, you know, the ground's so hot and it just, those mothers leave those fawns there, they get sun on them during the day and they just dehydrate and they just can't recover. Mm. So that's that's the biggest problem. Not not that they're not having fawns, they're just not surviving. They're not getting to adult age. Plus, you got your predators that are, you know, can see them because they're not hidden. They're just laying out in the open under a bush. Yeah. You know, it, it, it takes a toll on them. So wildlife management, as far as I'm concerned, really boils down to land stewardship. So if you're working well with your land, everything else is going to come pretty easy. Yeah. So, and then, you know, having to understand, you know, got to have ground cover if you want ground nesters. If you want quail and you want turkeys, they're ground nesters. They got to have cover. Um, you know, we pride ourselves on having some incredible, you know, spring turkey hunting. We don't hunt them in the fall, but in, it's very good in the spring. Um, we have lots of quail we don't have the really the country we're pretty thick but we have just quail everywhere you know all that comes down to good good cover yeah. you know grass nesting cover nesting clumps all of that so then then from there you go into you know you go into what you're doing for your deer and understanding where we are I, i've kind of just made an analogy i don't know how much truth there is to it but i think it's it's has some some bearing you know, the country in South Texas that has a lot of oil seems to be very mineral-rich mineral soil. And mineral is the answer to a lot of issues, mass, and so on with deer and cattle. It, it, it all goes hand-in-hand hand with gut health. Right. So we are kind of an area that has quite a bit of water. Um, we got decent water under the ground. We don't have to drill very deep. You know, you just go a mile south of here just right across highway 90 and people struggle to hit a water well just struggle hmm. so you know there is some bearing to that there's a lot of mineral in the soil and they got oil we don't have very good mineral but we got water so understanding mineral in our area has been the biggest key for us and i think you know um putting this mineral on on this cotton seed and been this chelated form has really changed the game yeah so um you know understanding that i think has brought to me more than anything um understanding and, and when i started this when people said gut health i mean you, you didn't have a clue you know yeah and i i've said this you know in the last couple of years people today We've been talking, uh, uh, diehard guys, I would say, have been talking about gut health for 10 years. People are just, uh, don't you agree, Klein? I mean, people are just now getting to the point where gut health is important to the rest of the world, you yeah. know, when it comes to the deer world. And, uh, you know, getting to that level of mineral content that you need to keep a good, healthy gut. And, and, and the, the guys that, that should know the most about this are really grazing guys, cattle guys, yeah. so on and so forth, because you would tell them, you know, Oh, we got to put mineral out for the deer or whatever. And they would look at you like you're kind of crazy, you know, but yet you would ask them, why are you putting mineral minerals out for your cattle? Oh, we got to have mineral for a cattle. <laughs> same thing. Right. Yeah. I mean, the just of it is the same. So, you know, 
being able to get your mineral content uh, right. And then I think, you know, I don't know tons about absorption and how rock mineral versus chelated form, but I know a lot about it in the plant world. You know, I was in the plant world for a long time. And I know if I put a dry fertilizer on a plant, I didn't see very quick results. But if I put a chelated mineral on that plant tomorrow morning, that sucker was green, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I think that's pretty similar. Am I, am I correct, Klein? Yeah, no, about, you are. Um, you know, the, the absorption level is almost instantaneous. And, you know, an ungulate takes their food into the first chamber of their stomach, and then they lay down and go chew their cud. That's what we've always heard. And, you know, the, the, the only way that I can say in a human – if you want to, if you want to pill an aspirin or a Benadryl or whatever it may be to act super fast, you chew it. Yeah. Well, the deer's kicking all that back up and rechewing it. It's got to be going through the lining of their mouth. Yeah. Just like it is in the lining of their stomach. And I think that, um, you know, these guys are going to have to tell you more about it because I mean, Hunter obviously lives it. Yeah. Like I live wildlife, he lives feed and understands it, and and Justin and Klein as well. But I mean, I think that is the key component of what's making this go to the next level. I mean, don't you agree? Yeah, I mean, you're getting your full consumption, your full absorption as quick as you can, and therefore it gets absorbed before it has time to pass through the system. Right. And when you go with like a rock mineral, it's got to break down. So with the chelate, you're getting it in there, you're absorbing it, you're getting a higher percentage of absorption, and that's in turn getting back into the body quicker, and you're getting a little more bang for your buck. I mean, chelated minerals do cost us more than if we were to use some of the traditional kind of rock minerals. But by going the chelated route, we're getting them in the system, we're getting the results out, and we're adding it to what we already know is, in our mind, a pretty exceptional feed that has been undermined for many years. And like you mentioned earlier, you know, it's kind of a new fad that everybody's getting on now. Well, it's been around for 20, 30 years. You yeah. know, we've been feeding cattle forever with it. Right. You know, and then the deer people kind of kicked on to it, you know, 30 years ago and it's it's been a product that's been hard to get on get a hold of it's been a bulk product you buy by a truckload you shovel it three or four times before you get it handled and yeah very it, difficult to handle yeah you now know. within a 50 pound bag and you know we've seen the results of it side by side with protein you know now we're seeing the results of it stand alone with just the vitamin and mineral pack that's mm-hmm. added to it that in our mind we feel like we've formulated to get better results with newer technology of what's out there today and and in my in my situation, um, you know, I, it it's a budgetary deal too. I mean, not only do I feel like I'm making the absolute best choice for the animal, it's the best choice for my business. And, I mean, when you have something like that, it's just a no brainer. I mean, when you can take when you can take less and do more, I mean, that's just a dream. Yeah. And 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 yeah. I hate to say that. I mean, I, you know, it sounds stupid, but that's just the way that it works. Yeah. And I was going to say that because the, the typical hunter, I'm talking about guys just want to go out and harvest a deer. They're going to put out whatever. And in their mind, the more they eat, the faster they eat. It must be an amazing product. That's that's our mindset. Right. And so what I love about this is you're actually able to, like you just said, able to do more with less. Yeah. And that's because of the consumption rate. And, right. And, and I mean, it, it's not, you know, it's not the 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 aromatic uh stuff you pour on the ground and everybody comes running every day you know like it is some of these other attractants that right. are that are very beneficial for oh, yeah. the situation right but if you're truly considering growing the best deer that you can grow and you are truly wanting to do the best you can for the animal and and know that this is not a one day deal this is not a one week deal this is not even a one year deal um, you know, you're taking an animal from a young age into an older age. Um, there's not a better product. I was going to ask, so going along with that, what can somebody expect? Because I know people are listening right now that their idea of feeding deer is just we're putting corn out whenever we need to. Maybe it's year-round for some people. I don't know. But what can one expect if they're thinking, you know what, I want to try this? Based on what you're saying, it's not just something you just need to try. I think in three months you're going. Well, I mean, all that goes together. I mean, you know, deer, deer are not creatures of. uh, I mean, they 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 test what they're doing. Right. So they'll get out there and they'll see a new product, and everybody. I mean, the first argument or the first 
you know thing they want to shoot at you is oh they're not using it you know well that's not that's not their mo their mo is to see it first it's going to scare them because they haven't seen it there before secondly they're going to sniff it and they're going to lean forward and just get a little smell and then thirdly they're going to take one seed and try it well if that seed tastes pretty good to them they still are not convinced that it's safe to eat because i might get sick right so they take the one seed and then a couple days later they take three or four more seeds and then before they know it they're like man not only does it taste good i feel good yeah you know and then they start their their moving forward with eating it so to say that it is for us it's an attractant i mean because now they <laughs> love it right yeah i mean they come when you pour it out right so um but for the 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 average guy that's looking to grow big deer and and you know it's a commitment yeah and and i hate to you know i mean i want to say yeah that they come running and they do come running when they know what it is and right. what, what value it has in it in the long run for them. But, um, you but know. the long-term success, you want to set people up to know what they're getting into so they can benefit from it long-term. Right. And not yeah, get it's turned not a, it off by it right immediately. Yeah, it's not an overnight. Uh, nothing's an overnight success with, yeah. this, with this. Exactly. I mean, you're going to have to put it out there and leave it out there to see results. And then in all reality, it's from the time the rut is over and that deer is drawn to his lowest point to the next year. I mean, as quick as you can get him turned around and get his body condition back, that deer's going to be better for next year. So, you know, like you start him in January after the rut and you're done hunting and you leave him on there for all the way up till next hunting season. When you get there, you're going to see an in, you know, incredible change. Just if, if you haven't been feeding them or you're feeding them periodically, it all goes back to the gut health, you know, yeah. a consistent diet. And having that feeder full all the time is going to keep his gut the same and absorbing the same as if you feed him and you let it go for two months and you go throw some more out there. Well, it's going to take him another you know, week or two to get his gut back in check right. and get back adjusted to that feed. So, you know, for optimal results, you want to yeah, you want to feed year-round or you want to feed from the rut to hunting season so you can attract them in with your corn right. or whatever you're using at that time. So if I had to, you know, if I had to say something about what you're saying, I think – the thing that people need to understand the most about white-tailed deer is consistency. Um, they have to be consistent. So if you're planning on on doing something, uh, again, you, you get out what you put in. Yeah. That's life, guys. Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. you know, so if you're just putting haphazardly putting in, your results are going to be minimal. Yeah. If, you're, if you're all in, your results are going to be very good. And, and consistency is a, probably the most important thing with, you know, it doesn't matter what it is, right, whether you're raising a dog <laughs> yeah. and you consistently have to tell him no, yeah. eventually he gets it. Whether you're raising a kid and you consistently have to be on him. I mean, it, and the same with deer. I mean, we just, it has to be constant and it has to be steady and it has to be the same. Yeah. You know, what's good for the goose is good for the gander, right? I mean, yeah. we've heard that a hundred times. It's the same with deer. So when you make a change, let's talk to somebody that's, that's thinking about making this change. We're talking about consistency. We're asking them to do something not consistent with what they've been doing. Do you think that that process of consistency, what is it, two, three years? Is yeah, you, I think you're going to see you're going to see amazing you. results in three. You're going to see change early on, but you're going to see amazing results in three and again i mean we're talking guys i don't care where you are it, it, if it's a 200 inch deer it, it has to be mature um you know there's not many three-year-olds anywhere right. that are 200 you know when you start getting in the midwest or you start getting into pin raised deer but that's not what we're dealing with here i'm dealing with with you know free range whitetails People that are dealing with three-year-olds that can be with 200 inches, I mean, they're going to be, for sure, yeah. feeding this product. I mean, it just seems to be that good to me. Um, so, you know, moving forward with that and, and going into the, the next level of this that we've only really just become knowledgeable of in the deer world is understanding where the fat breaks down in the gut, you know? 
I mean, you think you're feeding a deer and he's got consistently 16% protein, whatever the percentage of fat, so on and so forth. And then you start looking at, you know, the best place that fat can be broken down is in the back, in the hind gut, correct? Correct. This product, a, a big bulk of it breaks down in the hind gut, am I correct? With that being said, it's just, I mean, it's just like a silver bullet. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I hate to say that all the time, but yeah. that's what we're all looking for. You know, we're, we're looking for a 10%, a product that'll give you 10% jump every time you go out there. I mean, in the real world, that's not true. Yeah. Uh, it's just very difficult to even get a 1% or 2% out of something. Yeah, you're going to see your body condition change over the first year and a little bit of horn growth. And then your second and third years when you really start getting seeing the results a little more on top, you know, right. antler size and stuff like that. You right. know, you're going to get an initial little jump in the beginning. And then it's just a steady, it's kind of a steady growth in my mind. And you yeah. get your body condition up front. But, I mean, it's like any feed out there. You know, you're going to do it for one year. You, you, you need two or three years to really see what it's going to do to, yeah. to yeah. prove itself. And we've proven this one, and, and John's kind of on the, the back end of seeing where it can go. And Right. I'm and a little ahead of it. Yeah, and I'm a little. Yeah. Well, he, he was on the front, and we're, we're <laughs> yeah. yeah, we've got our time in on it. Yeah. You do know? you feel like the principles of the things you're talking about are, are consistent across the country? from different state to state or absolutely i mean absolutely I, i've seen you know, a guy the other day he said he said deer's not going to eat it where it's not grown right well um <laughs> I don't, most I of these deer never seen a cotton plant out here so. uh, that's what i figured. yeah i don't have cotton out yeah, here and yeah. so they, they you know they eat it all the time but um you know a deer is going to do what's best for a deer a deer is a conserver i mean he, he conserves energy that's his life goal um you know He's going to go to the best source of feed that's the closest to his home, and he's going to utilize it. So when you have a have a top-notch feed source in the middle of his bedroom, right? he's just going to go over there and eat a little bit and go lay down. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's just the, the truth of the matter. Um, so, you know, getting this stuff and, and dispersing it across your property as evenly as you can – utilizing places that obviously they're going water feeders so on and so forth um and keeping it out as consistently as you can um trying to keep them from i call it getting in the doldrums you know they just we always say oh look at that deer i mean look at him then and look at him now you know it looks like he slung his guts out from running so hard and you know everybody's always asked me and i don't know how much you know merit it holds but i really truly feel like if if somebody would offer me a management tool that was going to be give me the best jump it would be a switch to turn the rut on and to turn the rut off yeah because that way i knew my deer wouldn't get you know run down to nothing yeah and i mean that's when all that's when you lose the most that's when they get predation is highest that's when you know just natural mortality across the board is the, is the heart especially on deer in colder weather colder environments you know they get run down in the rut and then they can't get back up you know it's just weak and they lay up and they get a bunch of snow and they can't get to forage and then you know they're just victim of of just natural death or predation yeah and um you know we don't have that here but we certainly have a a pretty strong rut and and, you know we we try to keep our numbers close to where we can get everybody covered and not have a doe going you know 56 days with not being covered because there's not enough bucks to go around you know so we should go through a couple cycles uh we if they come in they need to have a couple bucks with them and get them covered and get that behind you and then you get a really tight window of fawning and so on and so forth you know so the more fawns that are hit the ground all at the same time the less predation you have you know if you have a few here and a few there and a few here and a few there your predation gets through the roof yeah so yeah you know, seeing seeing that narrowing that window down um, is, is very important, I think, for everybody. I mean, it's only a dream to get your ratio at one-to-one or, you know, in my case, I've been working super hard on the does, and, and now I'm kind of skewed the other way, a few, few too many bucks. So we're just going to have to shoot more bucks this year and let a few more does go. Yeah. So One thing we hadn't touched on on, on the initial investment side of this, I know I don't know anybody that doesn't want to save money, Um 
But when it comes to feeding this, what does that look like as far as you don't have the high dollar cost of feeders and, and you can if you want to. There's nothing wrong with that if you want to do that. But how, what's it look like on your on your ranch here for you? Well, I mean, it's <laughs> it's the easiest way to feed there is. I mean, you just make a wire ring that costs you. You know, I think you can buy it pre-made for 30 bucks. Yeah, yeah. 30 bucks. Um, and a steak. Yeah, and a steak, another three or four. Holds 400 pounds, you know. Yeah. 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 And we make them... Um, you know, make about 30 out of a roll and a roll is $500. And, um, you know, it's just, it's just a uh, no brainer. It's yeah. simple. Yeah. And, and don't have to worry about moisture. You know, a lot of, a lot of people don't understand how we feed, but free choice feed and, and these tube feeders that have a tube that come out of a, basically a big square box and, you know, a little bit of rain, it shuts you down. Um, if you don't have somebody on the farm going out there physically cleaning those tubes out after a half inch rain, then you might be at your house somewhere thinking everything's going great and your deer are getting nothing. Yep, they need yeah. nothing. And, so true. and with that being said, the seed, I, I have not had any issues with them pulling it through wet or dry or, or whatever. They just pull it through the thing and then, you know, they get, when it gets down low, they just tip the tip the little deal you don't tie it off to the post you know you just let them spin it around and they'll spin it around till they get every seed off the ground hmm. so you know that's that's pretty pretty beneficial and pretty easy and as far as budget goes um you know you can buy the stuff in bulk if you wanted to handle it but um you know i've i've always i probably every year call klein or justin or somebody and say you know hey i can buy this stuff in bulk for half what it's cost in bags you know and they just laugh and and then say yeah but and i said yeah but i gotta put it in a bin then i gotta shovel it out of the bin into the truck then i gotta shovel it out of the truck into the feeder you know bag bag is the way to go for sure yeah i mean yeah you can take you know roll of wire 500 bucks get you 30 baskets out of it for less than you can go buy one protein feeder that's a 2,000 pound feeder. Yeah. And you can scatter them out in more areas, closer areas. You know, you can move them where more deer can get to them. Yeah, put them every water source, every feed source that you, I mean, any travel corridor that's got a good open area. Um, you know, I, I just the ease of feeding is unparalleled. Yeah. What, uh, what's your ratio per acre? You mentioned this to us earlier, but for our listeners, how do you kind of go about? Well, I mean, deer density, of course, is um, optimum would be about 1 to 20, I think, um, if you really want to be the best. 1 to 25 would be better, but you're going to see very few deer, yeah. but generally going to see better deer. Uh, there's got to be a, fine, a medium, happy medium there. Um, a lot of people are, are trying to get to 1 to 15 or think the 1 to 15 is a good level, yep. and I think it probably is for the average people. You know, to see that, and then um, if you say your your ratio of buck to doe ratio, that's all. I, I've heard so many different things, and I don't know. Maybe Klein knows a little bit more about it than I do, but I've heard so many different things about natural mortality of getting your buck numbers too high. You know, your doe numbers are low, and then you end up with lots of fighting. And I do see that. I don't get me wrong. I mean, our buck buck numbers are at give or take 1.8 or 1.86 per doe Hmm. so almost two bucks per doe now and i really feel like we need to kill about double the bucks this year as we do does so that'll get us come get us back down to that one to one i've always heard you know 1.2 or 1.4 does per buck yeah and i think that's pretty healthy but you know to say that most of the country's ever seen that not many people have ever seen that. No, I mean, there's, that's just the perfect world. But you yeah. got to manage your land with what you have and what right. you can do. Right. Yeah. And, you know, and you don't know what your neighbors are doing and you're low fenced. And these guys, you know, we see a lot of it in the Midwest. I mean, we're happy to hunt a 500-acre track in, you know, in Midwest oh, yeah. because yeah. that's a pretty good-sized track. But let me tell you, one of those big West, big mid, Midwest deer walk across that 500 acres in 10 minutes or less. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, you know, you're only – he's only yours temporarily yeah 
And I got a lot of temporary deer on my massive 43 acres. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, then you, you do, you know, you do see some homebodies. Oh, I mean, yeah. you get some that just stay right there <laughs> yeah. in a 40 acre track. Yeah. And, and, and that's good, you know, um, but it's just not the general rule. Yeah. Uh, they just are such nomadic animals, especially when they're rut. They're, oh, you know, yeah. I think, I think truly, uh, if you put 365 days a year on a deer, I think, 90% of his time spent probably less than a square mile. Yeah, they're going to hang around that area yeah. all the time. They I, mean, don't know I think that's leave. probably a big area, yeah. you know. But um, I did some collar studies out here seeing what they did, you know, and how they moved and so on and so forth. And it was just, it was mind-blowing how tight. And, and all the things that I thought I knew, I was wrong. Really? Yeah, about where they went and what they did and how the buck, I mean, you know, I, I had bucks with collars on them from, from, you know, the same, what I thought was the same area. You know, I thought, oh, they're close to each other. But when you watched them on the collar, it updated every five minutes. And when you watched them on the update, I mean, there was an invisible line there that they just wouldn't cross. Really? Yeah. And then the deer from the other side would not cross it going the other way. Ain't that something? It was crazy. Hmm. And, then, and then during the rut, you think, oh, the bucks, you know, their territory is getting huge. They're moving everywhere. And... And the does, their territory shrunk down to nothing. I mean, they just stayed right at home. They didn't go anywhere. Hmm. So, you know. It, that's wild. Yeah, you start looking at that stuff, and you, it, it, it makes you have a whole different vision of what deer really do. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, technology's brought all that to us. We couldn't have done that a long time ago, but yeah. now. Speaking of technology, how many cameras are you running out here? <clears throat> oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wish I could run a hundred, but I can't keep a hundred running. You know? yeah, so I'm always, yeah, yeah, batteries. I need to be some solar power, uh, don't yeah, you? Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> and then you know, everybody's like, "Oh, we can get those those uh, those ones that call your cell phone." I'm like, "Guys, you know, you're taking 500 pictures a night, and your data plan will be five grand a month." I've got three know? cell cameras in all my 43 acres, and my wife's are like, "Will you turn that stupid thing off?" I can't imagine out here, man. <laughs> It's the time to go through all the pictures. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because it's nonstop. Yeah, Ted goes through all the pictures, and, and I'm fortunate I don't have to look through them all. He sends them all, you know, the good ones he'll send. But, yeah, it's pretty amazing what you see. And, you know, that's brought a whole other aspect to hunting. I mean, just uh, incredible. Sometimes I, I I think I want to not put out any cameras, you know, so oh, I can yeah. have surprise. some, yeah, some surprise. big surprise, you know. And, <laughs> Do you find yourself, because you are obviously a conservationist, and do you find yourself loving the process as much or more than actually harvesting the animal? Or yeah, I think the I think the process is ninety percent of it. And and my guys that, that hunt here regularly say, you know, this is the only place in the world that the deer's five for three years in a row. Yeah. You know, I'm always saying, how old is he? Well, he's five. <laughs> you know, I'm just trying to I'm just trying to buy him another year. Yeah. You know, yeah. And uh, so anyhow, they they by the time he's eight. You know, I, I, I got them convinced he's really only six, you know, so I can get him a couple more years. And so, That's yeah, you, you find yourself going, I know we have to harvest some of these big deer, but, you know. But man, man, I hope he doesn't show up. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. So, yeah, you get that way. I mean, that's just the things in life is, is you know, taken to heart in this business is. You know, naming them always is disappointing. When you name them and, you know, that you lose them or oh, something, yeah. you know, you're all sad about so-and-so. And then right. the other thing is um, this is not for the weak of heart. You know, you watch one grow and you watch him coming up and you have big hope for him. And, you know, then you then you get some natural mortality, whether it's a mountain lion. Um, he gets run down in the rut and gets caught by, you know, predators or coyotes or whatever or or he just dies of some natural disease, you know. Yeah. And it it's not for the weak of heart. I mean, when you when you wake up one morning and and you find a couple of deer in the you know high one seventies and one in the high two hundreds, you know, it really makes you look at yourself and go, "Damn." Yeah. Like, you know, a uh, a uh, uh, it's hard. I mean, yeah. it's really hard. You know, it's yeah. kind of like one of your own. You yeah. watched them grow and and uh, but I've always said, you know, people want to people want to throw stones at all of us who hunt and so on and so forth but i do more for the betterment of wildlife and the betterment of of 
conservation across the board and stewardship yeah than than anybody yeah. you know I'm, i mean i'm not saying that no you know, i know what you being mean. ugly i'm yeah. just saying you know because you have a bird feeder in your backyard and you want to throw stones at me because i'm a hunter yeah um you know we just people don't understand it yeah and we we take so much pride in the quality of these animals and how they are you know i i really get offended when people say yeah. you know oh, i can't believe you do this or i can't believe you that they just they have no idea they don't understand yeah you know and it's a, it's just education you know yeah. because we're spending i mean we devoted our life to making them better yeah and i can tell you right now they're a heck of a lot better than when i started 20 years ago yeah and so, they are. Yeah. Is, there, is there anywhere else online people can see the quality of your deer? Besides, I mean, I know you can't show it all off, but I, <laughs> well, know, there are, I know there's a lot of them on the on the fortified cotton seed Instagram yeah, page I've, and Facebook. I've, for I've sure. let Hunter do that. I've let Hunter get all those pictures, and you know, I haven't been really um, really vigilant about it. And and you know, maybe moving forward, you guys will, will come back, and we can maybe get some video or something oh, of some awesome. of these deer yeah. and. Uh, see what's out there but i want you know the thing about it is is i want everybody to to be able to do it i think everybody can you know uh no matter how much land they've got you can i think they can dang sure make a difference yeah you You gotta manage what you have and manage the best of what you got to work with i I mean, mean like john here i mean he's he's telling you everything about his deer but he's not telling you about everything else he does i mean you know, that award on the wall over there tells you everything about the guy. He's all yeah. about the land, whether it's the turkey or the quail or the songbirds out there. He's conserving yeah. it for everything. It's not just the deer. And yeah. and I think John could probably agree that taking care of Mother Nature as a whole will kind of turn around and benefit you back in Absolutely. the way it comes back to you. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, he, he's all about the whole the whole ecosystem. It ain't just big deer, but oh, it's... Yeah. It's pretty interesting to see the whole place and just the beauty of it that he's brought back to life. It is. It is. And so, and then, you know, I say if I can do it, anybody can, you know. I mean, it's just not that hard. Yeah. It's just understanding it and tweaking it for your situation, you know. And, and a lot of people don't live it like I do, and yeah. it's very difficult. A lot of people want to live it, but can't. Yeah, we say it all the time. All the time. People, a lot of people like the idea of being a a rancher or a yeah. cowboy it or, looks fairy tale or, yeah it looks, yeah. <laughs> yeah but it comes down to work ethic and being willing to do it at the end right, of the day right and it's it's you know very well rewarding um you know you like i said you take care of her she'll take care of you yeah well fellas man it's been a great conversation and truly an honor to have you guys on the show congrats on your on your award too yeah man. thanks it's yeah. a it's it's humbling i don't try to talk about it a whole lot i, I can tell you are, but it's very <laughs> cool and uh it brings a lot of credibility to what you do, though. Yeah, for so. sure. It did validate that. And then, but, you know, the, in the whitetail program, I can tell you guys, there's nothing, you know, there's nothing more awesome than seeing it come to fruition. You know, when you can put your hands on a 200 inch deer. Yeah. It doesn't matter who it is. It's a, it's a very big, uh, you know, very big deal. Yeah. It's just not a normal animal yeah so no, not at all yeah and then and it's not all about 200 it's not all about score you know if you like it i want you to get it yeah. you know i want you to harvest it i want it, if that's the one you want and he, eight. he meets the criteria <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely so um you know and a lot and and i'm not all about 200 i think a lot of us guys in south texas have always said you know i'd probably add the the dream deer to pick would be 170 inch eight point you know exactly i mean i think klein saw one a couple of years ago from down south didn't you know, asherton that's, or that's somewhere. the one we're still looking for yeah 170 and, slick eight wow yeah and i passed one in kansas about five or six years ago that i've kicked myself a hundred times i was hunting 180 plus inch deer you know with a bow yeah and it's just a just a slug and wind was wrong so i went to another stand and this monster eight point came up and you know i looked at him and, and, and everything was perfect i mean he came made a scrape right in front of me this that and the otherwise and i kept you know looking at him and going i mean his points at the end of his g2 looked as big around as my thumb you know and not that that made any difference but i'm just saying he was massive and when he walked away he was so close i filmed him with my phone and I took it in and my buddy and he's like, man, I don't know that I'd have passed that for that 180 inch deer, you know? And I said, well, committed to that. You know, he's got a big, the deer had a big old drop and so on and so on. He was just a cool deer. So the next, 
uh, spring, I was up there talking to the neighbor. There's a bunch of CRP there. And he said, hey, I just wanted you to know I picked up a couple of big old eight-point sheds that are at the house. So I said, how big were they? And he said, oh, he's about 174 <laughs> if he was 15 inches wide or whatever it was, you know. Yeah. I'm like, really? And so I went over there and looked at him, you know, just, and that was him. Wow. And uh, nobody, to my knowledge, ever harvested him. But wow. I probably have, that's the only deer I've ever regretted not shooting that i had an opportunity at but do you get to get outside of texas and hunt much or do you spend most of your time here no i spend most of my time here i did hunt quite a bit in kansas for a few years and love hunting in the midwest um you know there's something about something to be said about getting away from home i mean i've never killed a big deer here biggest deer i've ever killed here is 125 inches really yeah wow so you know that's how much i love them and, and i want them other people to harvest them you know because that's what they that's what I grow them for. Yeah. So, I don't think I'll ever, ever shoot a big one here. Wow. But so. Pick up his sheds every year. Yeah, we pick up some monster sheds, yeah. Wish y'all could see. I had a pile of them. I mean, just oh, yeah. monsters, yeah. That's cool. So, and then getting, you know, getting to this next level. When you start putting a South Texas deer, when you start putting 40 inches of mass on a South Texas deer, you've done something. You know, the deer we were killing in the Midwest were, you know, 40 to 42, 44. Um, a deer I picked up here not long ago has over 50 inches of mass. Wow. That's incredible. You know, seven in, a little over seven inches at the base. That's in huge. South Texas. So, you know, uh, you can attribute it to a little bit of everything, but we're definitely on the next we're definitely headed to the next level yeah you know and, and it has a ton to do i mean i hate to keep going back to it but it has a ton to do with understanding this feat yeah yeah everything so and we're going to go to 365 days this year this year be our first year feeding 365 days solely uh feeding cotton seed for 365 days wow no yeah. corn no nothing well we feed you know we bait with corn and, yeah but we have to. I mean, we have to get them to come to somewhere where we can In make, the make, the, yeah, make yeah. the right decisions. And um, But, you know, putting out cottonseed will be the first. This will be the first time I've ever fed 365 days a year. And, and we all have fears, you know, having to shoot 500 head um, of getting those deer out where we can see them. And feeding, of course, free choice feed during hunting season is going to change that a little bit yeah. so we're you gonna the majority of your cotton seed when they're, when they're consuming it it's at night most of the time most right? of the pictures are at night i mean we do get some pictures i think i sent you one just a little earlier today yeah. of a deer walking away and he was walking away um in the daytime but there's just not a lot of consumption during the day especially because mm-hmm. a lot of the period is hot you know yeah. we're feeding it it's hot time of year but um again i'm i'm going to be new to it this year it's going to be at it's going to be at corn feeders uh, available with with you know timed corn feeders. So uh, I'll see if it really affects us as far as our harvest goes. Yeah, but we're dry. I mean, so this is going to be a last two years we've been wet, huh, Klein? Yeah, your deer will be in way better way better shape going into next year. Being you're feeding through this, yeah. the way the winter looks today, it's going to be pretty dry. And yeah, it's going to be rough. That rut will be real hard on mortality rates. Yeah. So we're just going to keep it out, and and I didn't make that decision because of that. I just feel like, um, you know, the things that I've learned the most about is is we've touched on it a ton is gut health, yeah. um, and then secondly is understanding how far they get down and how long it takes them to recover. Yep. I think that's most critical. Um, you know, I used to start feeding February first. Then I started feeding January 15th. Then I started feeding January 1st. You know, we're just in the tail end of our rut in January 1st. Then I started noticing a little higher quality animal the next year, you know. And then so now I think 365 days a year, letting them, you know, have the option on this on this cotton, this fortified cotton seed is going to be, you know, maybe take me another you know, we talk about percentage, another two percent. You know, if I get two percent out of something, it's a. I mean, take a hundred inches and add two percent. You know, yeah. it doesn't seem like a lot, but you know, when you get two hundred inches, that may be the difference in yeah. two hundred and one ninety five. Yeah, and if you're selling deer by the inch, every inch counts. Yeah, you bet. And and you know, my members, they they that's that's their vision. You know, is one hundred and eighty plus. 
you got to you got to give it to those guys who are coming out here to hunt and you know not going to worry about 175 or 177 inch 10 point you know which is an unbelievable animal <laughs> you know yeah so that also shows the faith they got in this guy right here yeah. I, think, I think i think he could talk deer all day oh <laughs> yeah there's no doubt man i live it i love it yeah. so what's your wife think about this oh she's a hunter she's an outdoorsman so yeah. she loves it yeah she doesn't mind she's got her own hobbies and so on so right i don't wear her down too much but she don't ever get tired of hearing you talk dear no no <laughs> she works all the time so she's she's doing something else by the time she gets home we're all tired and ready to go to bed anyway yeah yeah well so, fellas man it's been great having you guys on appreciate your time yeah and uh, best of luck upcoming season It'll be good. I'll shoot y'all some pictures and I love yeah, it. we'll see what we do. And y'all, you know, come on back and we'll go sit in a stand or love do to. something. Yeah, so I'd love to. We hunt in, you know, a lot of scissor lifts, so jack up trucks. We move oh, yeah. we move a lot and yeah, it's fun, you know, especially during the rut, you know, telling what you're gonna see. I mean and that's another thing with trail cameras, you know, we we've eliminated the the surprise. And you know, there's just not a lot of times that we find something. You're that, looking for something you've already seen. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, and, and I, that's another thing coming into this part of the country. When you first started, you know, you felt like, oh, that's a big deer. You know, I probably ought to go ahead and shoot him because there's got to be three or four more just like him, right? It ain't the case. Really? Yeah. I mean, they're not under every bush. And you're not, if you're hands-on and you're a really good manager, which cameras are making a lot of people a lot better managers, right. I think. Um, you know, you're being able to see what you really have. You do get a stranger if you got a small track of land that moves in during oh, yeah. the rut or so on and so forth. But, you know, we don't have a lot of strangers. And then, you know, being able to control what happens on some of the sides of us, um, we just don't have deer that show up that you're like, wow, where did he come from? Where has he been hiding for five years? And yeah. We see them all. Yeah. When, you're, when you're running 75 to 100 cameras, um, yeah. you know, you know, you know, yep. you see it all and you rotate them through these feeders and week intervals. And then, you know, that's how we do a lot of our, our understanding our numbers is just by camera surveys. Yeah. So we extrapolate those numbers over unique bucks, does, um, how many we're seeing over a period of time during the same period of year, year to year, and we just create a trend really? based Y'all on ever these. run aerial surveys here? Yeah, we're doing it. We're starting to do a lot more with drones. Yeah. Thermal. Last two years, I've thermal, done thermal drone surveys, and um, really good. You know, really see a lot. Um, I think that's, a, you know, a trend that's coming. Yeah. So. Technology is going to take this to a whole new level as we grow with it. And adapt to it. Yeah. Well, we, I mean, yeah, it's adapting. Yeah, it's for, coming. For us old guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know what you mean. Yeah, so. I know what you mean. Anyway. Well, good deal, man. Well, yeah. Great having you guys on, man. And uh, maybe we'll get back down here and do it again. Absolutely. So, all right, Appreciate guys. it. Enjoyed it. Yep. Until next time. Peace out. God bless. Hey, guys. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Listen, if you're enjoying what you're hearing here on the podcast, do us a favor, a huge favor. Go online. Go to iTunes. Jump on your podcast app and give us a review. This is why it's important. All throughout the year this year, we're going to be giving away products, hats, t-shirts, things from our sponsors. And the only way you can be registered to win those products is by going in and giving us a review. We'll be giving those out on a monthly basis and we want you to be involved in what's going on with free stuff. We know everybody likes free stuff. I'll be honest, we enjoy free stuff and we want to share part of that with our listeners. Listen guys, we can't tell you how much we appreciate you listening to the content we're putting out. You're not only a part of the tour, you're a part of the family and we're building a tribe that's willing to go where only few dream about, living our passion. I am Jay Heath Graham and I thank you for being a part of the Tour 12 podcast.